The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is a really fun Saturday of games. We're recording this first part, so it's fresh in our minds on Saturday night. This, of course, will be available tonight to our Patreon subscribers, patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue. But, of course, we'll also start Dunked On on Sunday night. So I think we should start with what has been the most entertaining series, and I was hoping the Nets would win to continue this series because I've enjoyed it so much from a strategic standpoint, from a drama standpoint, which I'm usually not in for, but I'm in for it when players actually criticize other players games in a specific way although jared dudley would tell you that if you read the whole quote it wasn't that inflammatory but use the word average in today's society when everyone wants to be above average and people are going to take it the wrong way but enough meandering let's start with the big adjustment danny that the nets made to their starting lineup yeah i mean this this was really significant so we had talked earlier about how brooklyn was getting all of this firepower from their bench and they were the the concept in game one that they were okay getting getting beat by Philly's starting lineup as long as it meant they could do better with the bench. They made two changes to the starting lineup. So the first one was, well, actually, you could talk about it together. They pulled Damari Carroll and Kuroks, and they brought in Karis LeVert and Jared Dudley. And I, you, you could see some of the effects right away. Now, it wasn't entirely those two that helped key the successful first quarter from Brooklyn. Philly having 10 turnovers in the quarter, many of which were forced by, by a good place from Brooklyn, was a huge part of it. But we did see a different dynamic from the Nets changing up their starting lineup. Yeah, and I thought right at the start, at least, just getting that second ball handler in there really helped the Nets when they were able to swing it to the other side, get Levert going downhill, and he finished very nicely, 25 points, 9 of 18 from the field three of eight from three four of nine from the foul line he'd love to have that back in what was such an incredibly close game down the end but they avoided getting completely blown off the floor in the first five minutes of the half which is they had not been doing a lot of times against that monster philly starting lineup lavert had this unbelievable pass behind his back basically to jared allen for a layup against boban and the nets surged out to a 33 24 lead after one the other thing that they really did well was controlling their own defensive glass and jared allen playing more helped some with that he had 21 points on 7 of 11 and 7 of 7 from the foul line although a critical turnover late as we'll get to and then the nets guards did more on the defensive glass also we'd said that they needed that from them where guys are actually going to be able to fly in and tip balls away they've got the advantage because you don't have a body on you you can take a step and jump whereas usually the bigs for the other team are engaged in some sort of boxing out so if those guards can fly over the top they did that better in this game so that really helped them to be ahead in the possession game at the start of the first which in many cases they have 
have not been or all cases basically they have not been against this Philly team over the first three game series we should also talk early in this about Joel Embiid I thought that Embiid had a really impactful game overall despite not having as many of those just indelible sequences you know he had a, yeah. a five he had five six blocks sorry six blocks five turnovers but he was just really affecting the game throughout 12 of 22 from the field for 31 points got to the line six times so not that Jared Allen immediate foul trouble or anything like that and also a huge 16 rebounds and seven assists there were a series of plays where Embiid was getting lots of attention and he was able to funnel that into creating a look for somebody else and that was his most impactful assist was not in that fashion but he was able to find open guys for for in this game and Philly ended up shooting 50 percent from the field overall and 58 percent on two-pointers yeah it's interesting it didn't seem like your typical Joel game when he's just going through guys getting fouled dominating the ball as much he, he made more of a concerted effort to get the ball in the paint and score when he tried to face up with that knee it didn't look as good that's what led to some of his five turnovers only took three three-pointers out of his 22 field goal attempts and Tobias Harris another unsung guy on this Philly team a guy who you don't really feel him through the course of the game especially because he was 0 for 4 on threes but he did a great job of using his size to go up against guys like Tobias Harris Lavert, Russell he's able to put the ball on the floor get to a spot pull up for a floater or a jump shot the Nets are hanging way back in pick and roll defense and Harris uh Haruk 43 minutes with Jimmy Butler sidelined after that third quarter altercation and 24 points six assists but the other thing that was really interesting about Philly is just a ton of pick and roll you know I mean Harris Butler in that second quarter we saw them go to that quite a bit which really they're one of the lower pick and roll teams in the league but I think they felt they really had the advantage on that against the Nets I was also very interested in the continually changing Philadelphia center rotation having Embiid for 32 minutes absolutely helped but Boban only played 11 minutes and then there was this disastrous three minute stretch for Jonah Bolden the biggest play there being one where Brooklyn was bringing the ball up the floor I think it was after a missed shot and Bolden's guy was Jared Dudley Dudley kind of fallen down on the play so D'Angelo Russell was bringing the ball up the floor Bolden was back there and he just kind of like meanders over to D'Angelo Russell and so when Jared Dudley crosses the crosses the timeline and gets into the play nobody is on him D'Angelo Russell very talented passer sees him and Dudley just strokes the wide open three Brett Brown calls a timeout Jonah Bolden does not see the court again yeah Jared Dudley had a, a nice celebration too after hitting a couple of his threes doing the Ben Simmons arms out like hey stay away from him uh celebration from the last game when Dudley had uh that terrible air ball um it was a struggle for D'Angelo Russell he did get to the foul line and he did hit some three-pointers but only two of 10 on two pointers for him six assists had 21 points negative eight and joe harris really continues to struggle he had a number of great looks for the guy who led the nba in three-point shooting this season at 47 percent oh for six they ran a couple of really nice plays for him in atos to get him threes and he just could not convert on him so those are ones that the nets will probably be thinking about all summer now as they're down by three games to one let's talk about that fracas it ended up with Butler and Dudley both getting ejected a flagrant foul one on Joel Embiid nobody else was penalized what did you think of the outcome of that and I guess we could just say what happened here first that uh Joel Embiid committed what was thought to be a hard foul on 
Jared Allen the second time that Embiid has fouled Allen he had a pretty big elbow to him and then sort of apologized and then Ben Simmons and Joel both started laughing at the podium which uh, the Nets did not take kindly to and so Embiid knocks Allen down Embiid said hey I got all ball he was pointing off of Allen to say the ball went out off of him it should be our ball and then Dudley sprints in gives Embiid a, a shud shove Dudley said after the game like I should have got him harder than I did uh and then Jimmy Butler saw that he gives a big shove to Dudley that escalates things D'Angelo Russell ran in I thought he was going to get penalized because he shoved a, a bunch of people he was really the guy who kind of made everything spill into the stands uh but he was judged to later be a, a peacemaker but what, what did you think of the outcome there did they get it right in terms of the penalties no I I really don't think they got about any of it right and the differences ended up being material because Dudley and Butler getting ejected from the game Butler in particular I I think that his ejection was really unfair they called him an escalator but no Dud- he's not escalating he's just doing the same thing that Dudley did to his guy yeah and and Dudley's hit was yeah, I mean, you could say it was provoked by previous antics and all that kind of stuff, but it was it was the real escalation. And yeah, when you run up on a dude like that, yeah, when you run up on a dude, that is an escalation, absolutely. And so giving those two players the same punishment seemed really unfair. And then also because Butler, it seemed like after that kind of shove back, was trying to keep Dudley and Embiid separated, so he actually was more of a peacemaker than the the people the refs gave credit for for being peacemakers. Embiid, it so this gets into a really weird thing that the NBA might want to look at in the flagrant foul rules. And I understand the the intent behind it. The intent behind it is basically one of the one of the elements of it, the last one, is about the kind of the big picture consequences of it. And so one of it is does it lead to an altercation? And in this circumstance, it doesn't happen very often, but it is it was very important in this case. This led to an altercation, but it led to an altercation because of a mistaken impression of what the foul was. And so like I understand Jared Dudley, he doesn't get the benefit of replay. He sees Embiid swing and hit his guy who's already been bashed in the face by Embiid's elbow, wants to stand up for his guy. But it's completely crazy to punish Embiid for that because then you can get in all these weird circumstances of hey if somebody does something that's close you might as well incentivize it and especially when it's a lower end player comparatively in Jared Dudley and Joel Embiid who's the best player on the Philadelphia 76ers we haven't seen too many players game this system but I'm a little bit concerned about where it could go yeah I think that's right if coaches communicate that to their players it does seem like there is an incentive to escalate when there is a potential flagrant foul and you're more likely then to get it actually called as a flagrant Embiid did have quite the wind up where yeah he did hit the ball but when you wind up like that that's the referee's gonna see he, he you could say maybe he got lucky and hit the ball but I mean that's a big swing and when you consider the history there I'm not surprised th- that the call was made I think there's an argument even with Philly's depth problems that Jared Dudley might have been more important to the Nets in this game he was plus 12 by the way than Jimmy Butler was to the Sixers because the Sixers had other options to go to now they did the Sixers did end up with Mike Scott guarding Spencer Dinwiddie at the end of the game you know that's something that could have been exploited a little better maybe by the Nets but I think Dudley especially because Dudley is really the only guy who's had any success using his girth to match Ben Simmons physically to not just let him get run over and get to the cup uh you can make the argument I'm not sure that I agree with it that Dudley is more important in this game than Jimmy Butler was Simmons ended the contest with 15 points eight rebounds and eight assists 
7 to 12 from the field, not as dominant as game three, but still, I would say, a solid performance overall from him. And it was really a scramble at moments for both of these teams to adjust to not having a player who was a key part of the rotation, who had kind of a role and an identity within this series. To lose that player within the third quarter was was certainly different. You know, Philly went to Mike Scott at points. They went to James Ennis at points. They even dusted off TJ McConnell briefly. And Philly... So Philly had all that. And Brooklyn, they went to some smaller lineups where they, they played their peri- their key perimeter players all together. Damari Carroll got a little bit more time. And I, I thought it did make both teams a little bit more disjointed. And I don't think that is like the reason Philly won or anything like that. But adding a little bit of variance, I, I think, it you know, with some of the shots that went in and didn't go in at the end of the game, I mean, it, it would have been different. I, I, th- I still think Philly probably wins, but it, it, it changed it for sure. The end of the game, whew was fantastic brooklyn started attacking jj reddick in pick and roll which they didn't go to at all really in games two and three and they were great at it in game one philly had tried switching it in game one reddick got roasted so now they instead had reddick try to hedge and recovery didn't do a great job of that was letting guys turn the corner and that ended up with jared allen getting an alley-oop dunk on the head of Joel Embiid from Karis LeVert. In the fourth quarter, they got a lot of good stuff out of that. I felt like they didn't even go to it enough. Uh, Down the end, just some of the noteworthy plays. Offensive rebounding was enormous. Jared Allen had a huge offensive rebound that he tipped out to D'Angelo Russell for a three to put Brooklyn up two. Then Joel Embiid had a missed layup, a bunch of missed tips. Philly had a ton of missed tips in in the fourth quarter, but they ended up getting the ball out of bounds. Then Ben Simmons got his own offensive rebound, off a missed floater throws it out to reddick and reddick appeared to just slip with his left foot as the pass was in the air still managed to recover and even with his feet not set took the wide open three made it for all those who say ah jj reddick never seems to make a key three well there's one for you put him up by one the nets throw it away with a terrible spencer dinwiddie pass then joel Embiid tried to iso up top the sixers who had tried this counter a lot to the top locking on reddick what they did was they started reddick higher out on the floor and then either set a screen going towards the baseline for him or just let him shove off on the guy and go to the corner and he was open on this play and bead had his head down by the time the ball got back to his hand off the dribble he tried to throw it to the corner but the window is closed the nets get a steal joe harris makes a really tough layup off a nice pass from russell over Embiid puts the nets up one they put in travion graham for d'angelo russell good offense defense replacement for atkinson i thought philly missed some chances to do uh, offense defense with the number of timeouts they have and then the key play Embiid fronted in the post they lob it into him Joe Harris comes over makes a great play to get a hand on the ball squirts free on the baseline and Embiid great job most important assist of the night tips it to Joe Harris in the corner for or I'm sorry to uh Mike Scott in the corner for what ended up being uh, the winning three-pointer and then what did you think of that last segment where the Nets uh had a chance to either tie or take the lead and uh Jared Allen ended up turning it over well I thought it was a great play pair of plays actually by Ben Simmons so Simmons was actually guarding off the near side player I believe it was Joe Harris and Jared Allen is kind of driving towards the basket Brooklyn is only down two and and he it looks like he has a little bit of a lane and then Simmons digs down and gets Allen to slow down and then that allows Philly's help to get there and then when Allen kind of pulls back and brings the ball over his head to try to finish it Simmons comes back in and deflects the ball ends up getting the steal and so now instead of it being a Brooklyn shot down two 
Philadelphia has the ball and Tobias Harris gets it and gets those two free throws and functionally ends the game. Yeah, Simmons did a great job communicating initially to get out on Joe Harris. The play initially looked like it was for Joe Harris to get a three. Uh, and that's certainly what you want to do there if you're down to at least have a look for a three-pointer. That wasn't there. The Nets were very upset that Tobias Harris, who switched on to Allen on that play as he rolled towards the rim, was not called for grabbing Allen around the waist. He absolutely did that. It was a clear foul. Allen made it. The pass was kind of out in front of him, and he fumbled it because he didn't get as much of a running start due to that hold from Harris, and that enabled Simmons to get back into the play. So maybe that ends up being a dunk for Jared Allen if that hold gets called properly. That's supposed to be a point of education. Refs missed that one. Uh, that Monty McCutcheon will not be happy because supposedly at the end of games in the playoffs, they're going to call it consistently the same way they do everywhere else. So I thought the Nets definitely had a gripe there, but they certainly had many, many other chances in this game. And they got to the foul line more than the Sixers did by a long shot, despite not having like, uh, actually, that's not true. They, they are one of the better free throw shooting teams in the league in terms of a free throw rate. The Nets are with a lot of that's Carroll and Dinwiddie, and those weren't the guys pushing it in this game. Um, anything else in general you want to say on this one? Yeah, I had a couple things. So one, Brooklyn in this contest, they took more shots from the field and they took more free throws than Philly did, but because they made fewer of, of those shots, you know, they were, they had a true shooting percentage of 52%. Philly was at about 58 in this game. That made a big difference. And so even though they, they won the turnover battle, they won the offensive rebound battle, it just wasn't quite enough because their offense wasn't as efficient. And something else that was really amazing about the game, I hadn't, I would have thought it was high, but I wouldn't have expected this. Jared Allen contested 28 shots in this game. Yeah. And most of those uh, are at the rim. Yes. Uh, speaking of shots at the rim, the Nets took 17 shots at the rim in the first quarter. A big reason why they were able to get on the offensive glass so much early was because they were getting shots at the rim, some of which are missing, and those are much easier to offensive rebound with the help having reacted. Uh, Ed Davis, unfortunately, was unable to play. He'd played single digits minutes in games two and three, was not able to go at all in this one. So they really only have one center on the roster. That's Jared Allen. They had to go to Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. I thought that when Philly was really killing them in the second quarter in pick and roll, they were going with either Dudley or Hollis Jefferson at center, but still playing conventional pick and roll defense. And part of that was because Embiid is on the floor, but you know, is Hollis Jefferson really going to stop Embiid in the post? No, you're going to have to double team anyway. So it really doesn't matter that much who you end up with guarding Embiid. Why don't you just switch in that situation? Because what ended up happening was there they had Dudley and Hollis Jefferson playing the exact same kind of pick and roll defense that Jared Allen usually plays, but Jared Allen is seven foot and a great shot blocker when you get tobias harris or jimmy butler with a head of steam going at hollis jefferson or dudley they're just going to be able to score on him every time or get fouled so that uh, i didn't really care for that strategy if you're going to go there um we still didn't see any of the dudley at center lineups although dudley didn't play the whole way uh dudley at center lines without hollis jefferson on the floor so really spacing it out the first quarter they did get a ton of penetration and get to them it kind of looked similar to the way it did in game one but they never really went all the way there and, and i still felt like they could have done that more i felt like they could have even gone after reddick more in fact it was that was what they went to to get that tying layup uh for joe harris in transition which was uh, was smart um let's see any other notes that, that you had let me go through yeah i, I have one more so huge part of the the early section of the game was brooklyn getting 10 turnovers in the first quarter philly only turned the ball over eight times in the entire
entire rest of the game. And that really helped them get back into it because when you're more effective as as the offensive team on your shots, then getting up more shots makes a big difference. And so I thought that really helped key the game. So Brooklyn had 25 points off of off of turnovers, but a large portion of those came during that first quarter. So it was a big advantage that they had, which basically evaporated after that early part. Yeah, so they had 12 points off of turnovers in the first quarter and 13 in the entire rest of the game. I thought D'Angelo Russell has actually had a better defensive series than I thought he would. They haven't targeted him much in isolation with him spending time guarding Butler and Harris much of the time. But when the few times they have, he hasn't gotten totally trucked. They've kept him off of guys like it so there's not a ton of like coming off screens he's not that good at getting over screens either but i think he's had a good effort he's made some plays defensively james ennis a big 21 minutes again for him seven points plus three just giving them something was important i do think though that russell just offensively it's such a mixed bag with him and he hasn't had a single game in this series with more points than true shooting attempts he's under 50 percent true shooting and this has been kind of an offensive series i did think that they helped him out a little little bit by not making him be the guy who has to take the shot every time on that starting lineup and hopefully they'll stick with that as well but I think Dinwiddie gives you a little bit more versatility they did close the game with all three of the guards Harris and Jared Allen so they really went with an offensive group down the end Damari Carroll really struggled he was 0 for 6 Travion Graham was 0 for 3 so they didn't really have a lot of other directions to go Kurix didn't play at all I you always have to question when a guy goes from being in the starting lineup to not playing at all like why was he in if you believe in that little why was he in the starting lineup at all you know it's just all right he's a rookie it's kind of a good story you know whatever but they they threw away three games in this series with him in the starting lineup. but he's i don't think he's a bad player he's got a nice future but if you don't think he's one of the top nine players on the team maybe don't start him so thought there part of what makes this loss really tough to bear and this this will be a story in, in saturday games with the nets is that i think their their core players i thought did did pretty well overall not not sterling games you know Levert was effective offensively Dinwiddie had some nice moments Russell better defensively had another game where he had some better moments in the fourth quarter than earlier on Jared Allen was effective and and played a lot of minutes but Joe Harris missed all six of his threes four 14 from the field Damari Carroll you mentioned the the zero for six Travion Graham missed all three of his shots and that's that's tough I mean because those players have been an important part of their success they were a lot of them were providing value on the defensive end you know doing other things well but at a certain juncture the guys that are you're usually creating shots for need to make at least some of them and if you're facing a capable opponent which Brooklyn was it that can be hard to survive yeah so three to one now I think we've already usually by the time you get through game four most of the key adjustments have been made I would imagine they're kind of going to stick it with some of the same stuff that we talked about just try and exploit it even more potentially here and we got a lot of other games to get to so as we're going into a game five here clearly philly the big favorite in that game five i I do feel like this series you know this is the one that the nets had to win to make it a six gamer you know philly is better than them but even if this ends up being five i'll feel decent about the prediction that i think we both made that this was going to go six there were some aspects that were troublesome and i mean obviously the health of Joel Embiid is going to be a big factor as well I mean he was able to play 32 minutes they basically didn't play him at all in the last like nine minutes of the first half but he was still just awesome in this game despite clearly being limited and 
I think they deserve credit too for the strategy of resting him in game three knowing that they had you know nearly a 36 hour turnaround here for the next game to just say hey we're going to give him five days of rest and then the next game in this series is what they got two days rested in between so with this short turnaround it made much more sense give him another couple of days so he could play in this game rather than game three they're obviously trying to manage this as much as they can one other quick thing to mention since we won't talk about this series until game five huge incentive for philadelphia to close it out because then they can give Embiid and the rest of these guys some rest before the second round concur there so before we move on i want to tell you about hymns that you've heard me talk about them with regard to hair loss where uh, i have used their service with the finasteride to help keep my hair but now they're offering a new product propranolol if you found yourself suffering from anxiety just an important moments not overall anxiety but say you have a speaking engagement a job interview you feel your heart start to race and you start to get a little bit distracted that's something that can happen to anyone but if you feel like that's something that really is preventing you from meeting your potential when you've done all this work to prepare for a meeting or an interview or something like that propranolol might be best for you it's sometimes prescribed by doctors to help control the physical symptom of performance anxiety if you get a shaky voice racing heartbeat sweat hymns will connect you to a doctor online who can evaluate you and if appropriate prescribe you medication that could help the physical symptoms of performance anxiety it can be delivered right to your door just as their hair loss stuff can in discreet packaging that means no more awkward in-person doctor's appointments and more importantly you don't have to take time off of work if you're interested in this so you think it's something uh, that might be for you go to a different link that, than usual here for hymns.com slash dunked d-u-n-c-d that's for hymns f-o-r-h-i-m-s dot com slash dunk d-u-n-c-d for hymns.com slash dunk see website for full details and safety information so we felt as if the nets had one that they'll be regretting for a long time but that's nothing to me in comparison to the opportunity that the utah jazz blew tonight agreed especially because utah came into the series in a different place than brooklyn you know brooklyn was happy to be there this I, i would say this was a successful season and and utah i mean houston is a terrible matchup for them but remember they finished this regular season third in net rating they actually underperformed they had the point differential of a 58 win team and now despite having a lot of positives in this game they're on the precipice of losing this series and possibly even being swept out of the first round james harden started the game 0 for 15 and yet even at the point when he started to score a little bit he he finished it was three of six two of five from three in the fourth quarter and got to the line quite a bit and overall finished 14 to 16 had 10 assists and six steals for Harden 22 points overall the Jazz still barely had the lead throughout much of this game and I believe when Harden got his first field goal the Jazz had already fallen behind I mean the the Jazz had maybe a five-point lead a three-point lead throughout the the meat of this game they never were able to pull away had some atrocious turnovers Ricky Rubio was a a big culprit there the three-point shooting once again just did not go down 12 out of 41 and they did try to get some more shooting on the floor Corver was able to play closer to his normal minutes they put in George Niang for 17 minutes like those guys are pure shooters but man Royce O'Neal one for five he had some wide open ones Rubio had some wide open ones Joe Ingles usually so reliable two for eight on three pointers it, it was a struggle for him so I think that's what they're going to be thinking about here I mean you hold Houston to 105 offensive rating and that was due to some fireworks 
Hurts at the end you know they were under a point per possession for most of this game and yet the offense just could not bring it home I mean that there were back-to-back possessions were huge Donovan Mitchell had an alley-oop from Royce O'Neal that was just a little bit too far ahead of him and, and Donovan not a good one-foot jumper so he needed to slow down try and grab it with two feet and jump off at two feet and just couldn't quite put it down Derek Favors missed a wide open dunk at, at one point right after that Mitchell alley-oop Joe Ingles had a wide open wing three all of this is with the Jazz down one and then Eric Gordon came right back and hit a three uh, and the Jazz uh, I think that was actually their last chance uh, to take the lead at that point you mentioned a lot of near misses and there's one other one that I thought was important in this one and that was Utah missing 13 free throws in a game this close Mitchell was 12 of 17 but then a bunch of other guys you know just had missed a couple you know picked up those sort of things and I think another important element to, to discuss at the outset of this game is the change in the starting lineup Derek Favors coming off the bench I thought he did decently well overall having Jay Crowder out there made logical sense it wasn't the best Jay Crowder game overall he they were just going through other things I think the process of that decision was right and it worked out it worked out reasonably I mean they started out molten they were they were started I think it was an 8-0 run though part of that was benefiting from what seemed like an incredibly dubious foul call on James Harden Donovan Mitchell got a four-point play in the corner and didn't seem like there was much contact at all that was I believe that was Harden's second foul he got two fouls in quick succession paralleling Durant actually in the Clippers game and paralleling that one also D'Antoni kept Harden in the game which I thought was 100% the correct decision and the fact that Harden ended up missing all of his shots in the quarter doesn't impact whether that was right or incorrect or correct. Yeah, Harden, it was a real weird game for him. The Jazz certainly came out with much better defensive intensity. Rudy Gobert was all over the place. He had three blocked shots in the first four minutes of the game. Blocked Harden a couple of times. Blocked his floater once. Gobert also blocked a a Chris Paul three-pointer. He definitely was more active. And But Harden, I mean, with some of the passes that he was throwing and getting deflected and the number of shots that he was getting blocked, it just seemed like something was off about him and it could have been fatigue especially towards the end I mean he looked so tired maybe you know maybe it's the first game at altitude you know maybe he'll come back and be better in game four when you get a chance to acclimatize it a little bit maybe it was just the, the crowd but he looked almost like disoriented at times out there but he managed to fight through it and at least get to the foul line enough to salvage a semi-decent night and stayed with it until that fourth quarter and down the and Houston was always going to have the advantage on Utah with their superior isolation players and we could talk a little bit more about some of the strategic machinations throughout the game this has been a, a really interesting series to be sure um well before we get yeah. into the machinations something I thought was important when Harden was still struggling was some of the big shots and shot making that their bench players had so Austin oh, yeah. Rivers hit a couple of threes Gerald Green was three for five but had he had one in particular that I just thought was a really really, really tough look, kind of a relocation drew off the dribble three. And House had a big one. Eric Gordon had a few big ones as well. And having those types of players, I mean, we, we were talking about how the, the Jazz had to go to George Niang and, and all these other players in Houston. You know, it's not like they threw massive resources on the table to get Gerald Green, Austin Rivers, and Daniel House. Now they had a selling point that there was playing time on this team that will be competing for an NBA, like that is one of the best teams in the league. But it is notable 
that basically all of those guys were our mi- minimum contract players, many of whom were even cut in season and have been are important parts of this team. Yeah, that was key, keeping them in it in the first when Utah only had a, a five point lead the first half, and Utah played very well in the first half overall, other than you know still missing too many open shots. Although the, you know they hit more, uh, especially Niang had a couple makes in that first. You know, he, he was brought in as a stretch for part of the thinking there, which I think it has some merit is while it doesn't matter who your fourth worst isolation defender is against the Rockets because they're going to go after the fifth worst guy so you might as well have your fourth worst guy provide a little bit more offense um you know th- there are limits to that because you still need guys who can help on the backside and stuff but Ni- Niang is an intelligent player and i thought that was a-, a quality adjustment another really nice adjustment for the jazz was really emphasizing the role man again and-, and that was something that they had had a lot of success with in their one victory over houston in the playoffs in game two the other thing that allowed them to keep it close was they actually didn't just get completely slaughtered right at the start of the game which uh, david Locke pointed out has basically happened in all of these other games between these two teams in the playoffs except that one win that utah had and so one of the things that they started doing was on the pick and roll remember that houston does not switch as much now so they really were trying to not only get the big guy rolling to the rim but have the big guy post up on the smaller guard coming over to help and you remember how small they are usually that's going to be chris paul or an austin rivers size guy they or it'll be Harden. and so rudy gobert has gotten a lot stronger he's not doesn't have great post moves but if he could just get his butt into the guy you throw it up to him same thing with favors he's gonna be able to make that catch and either get a foul or a dunk and that worked really well early on that was they got Harden's first foul on that action uh, the other thing they did too i thought i don't know if this is intentional but especially with rubio setting a lot of the screens for him closer to the rim inside the three-point line when usually you want it to be further out so the guy can accelerate and turn the corner well if they're gonna bring a guy like capella way up on the ball almost trap that what you want to do is have a pass available to the roll man that's gonna get the roll man right at the rim as opposed to forcing the guy way out on the floor and now you throw it to gobert or favors and he's you know at the free throw line and he has to make a play now you can throw it to him and he's got that size advantage uh, on the helper coming over so uh, they really were able to emphasize that quite well I, I was impressed there uh with that adjustment i thought donovan mitchell's passing in the first quarter was awesome he had a couple of plays where he's just diming guys up and again you know they just couldn't hit the three-pointer he had one just like awesome backhand pass he throws these where he's not as great of a left-handed passer but he'll kind of loop his right arm around behind the ball and throw it almost backhand out to a shooter he had a couple of those he had this one great fake at the top of the key where he throws the help guy and threw it to O'Neal for a wide open corner three which of course missed um but the Jazz did manage a 115 offensive rating in that first and you know it was just kind of downhill from there Mitchell also had uh, a rough stretch from shooting not as pronounced as Harden but I think he missed 12 12 shots in a row and yeah. some of those were I would say most of them were were reasonable like some of them were a little bit ambitious and it, it, it can happen and also Mitchell had just a, another one of those haunting misses where on the last play I thought it was a, a really interesting oh, yeah. d- decision whether it was tactical or more more happenstance where Gobert kind of lays back when he's kind of setting the screen for Mitchell and there's a miscommunication 
location between Austin Rivers and Clint Capella. So despite having all the incentive in the world, Houston's up three, they could have theoretically fouled because they forced Utah to burn their final timeout, which makes it even clearer that if you have the chance to foul. Instead, Donovan Mitchell gets a wide open three, could have taken a Tabo Cephalosha-esque amount of time to get set, gets the shot, and misses it, and that's the end of the game. Yeah, they ran a really nice play that they knew Houston would be switching everything, and they forced them to miscommunicate Austin Rivers and Capella and ended up getting just that wide open three for their best spot up shooter Mitchell and I think he was just so surprised that he was open that he missed it I mean people are like oh he choked well let's not forget that like nobody in NBA history has ever shot like over 50% on open threes in their career so even if he's wide open the more likely outcome is still going to be that he misses it so let's not go crazy but certainly a, a missed opportunity that he would he would love to have back a uh, couple of really funny moments in the second quarter one was a jazz missed free throw Kyle Korver was just you know one of the guys in the lane line just because you have to have someone there in the NBA he just starts jogging down as the ball goes up the the Rockets fundle fumbled the rebound and Korver only turned around to see that the ball had just bounced right out to him he's jogging down court the crowd starts to groan and then Korver turns around because the crowd started to groan and grabbed the offensive rebound and then on another play when Mitchell drove Quinn Snyder ended up getting teed up but number one, he saved his his guy Rudy Gobert from getting a technical and maybe even getting thrown out of the game because Gobert, as the action is going down the other way, just runs straight towards the baseline and starts yelling at the referee. Snyder thankfully got in front of him and was so angry himself that he saved Gobert the tee. But Gobert was like totally out of the play. They would have gotten a fast break. It almost ended up being a good play by Snyder to just take the tee and and stop the action. The the uh, rarest the rarest of things the Euro technical foul. Yeah. <laughs> uh down the end uh, we saw a couple or, or not even necessarily down the end but we saw a couple of things that houston did that were more of a throwback to last year number one they went more with tucker at center mike d'antonio actually had, had told alakian bijani of the athletic that he wasn't going to go to that alignment because they didn't have the same size to switch everything that they did last year but he did try it when to try and get Harden going down the end of the second quarter with and that forced tucker to be guarded by gobert and tucker i think hit a corner three there but the Rockets still didn't get much out of that line but they didn't go back to it in the second half and then the other thing is they started beating up those coverages I mean they weren't taking advantage but they're still getting good looks the the coverage of two on the ball which they've been doing for a while with Capella that they actually just went back to the straight switching down the end and the Jazz really were not quite ready for that other than just getting the ball to Donovan Mitchell guarded by James Harden finally they went back to that and I thought I mean when you look at the game that Harden had yeah he was in foul trouble I think also when he, he's more wary of getting an offensive foul that really kind of slows him down to some degree as well but in the altitude they made him play defense more I think that that really helped uh to tire him out and Mitchell with the exception of one play blew by Harden every single time he was isolated I mean it wasn't as bad as when Harden just has the guy trying to take away the step back but almost as bad Harden just wasn't even getting into a stance at all not even trying and Mitchell was just blowing by him one time at the end Harden did force a miss when he actually did try to get into a stance but uh overall I, I thought they got good stuff out of that and then it was just a question of Mitchell making the right decision which he didn't a couple of times one time he got blocked by Capella when he had favorites wide open then he adjusted and he made a nice drop-off pass to Gobert for a dunk later but you know or guys missing shots when he was setting him up on that drive but certainly uh, in game four uh, although the series is over you'd expect to see more of that and I think it, Mitchell getting going early they also ran a few shooting sets for him to come off of screens which I think helped so yeah I mean he had a wonderful first quarter and, and obviously 
struggled it in the second half uh, other than when he was going at Harden but I, I thought it at least looked better for him tonight when because there's always going to be a certain number of isos against Houston so at least get it against the worst defender and tire out Harden even if you're going to miss the shot you brought up Harden's foul trouble another part of this game that we should mention is that Chris Paul picked up his fifth foul before the end of the third quarter still played pretty close to his normal minutes it was a, it was a solid Chris Paul night he did have that nice play late where he froze Gobert and then got the layup but I mean it, it, him just being able to stay on the floor considering Paul is one of their more important defenders he can be a, a stabilizing force on that end and an intelligent passer to be sure so staying on the floor when you have foul trouble and not sacrificing as much defensively as as Harden did is significant and was significant for the outcome last thing here and, and this isn't even a, a criticism of, of the Jazz in particular but when you are down in the last with the shot clock off when you know you're not going to have a chance for another possession without fouling why on earth don't you have three guys going to the offensive glass maybe even four when Mitchell missed that shot there's like one Jazz guy going for the offensive rebound like there's oh. no downside for everyone going to the offensive glass and trying to get it maybe you want to leave your best three-point shooter or maybe the guy who took the three to be out there for a kick out potentially if you're down three if you're down two then everybody should be sprinting to the offensive glass in that situation uh it's hard though to get the offensive rebound and then like dribble back out and shoot a three so maybe you leave one guy out there on that play but and you really should be having everyone go there and there's just the jazz guys i'm just gonna stand out here at the three-point line like it's a normal shot with three minutes left in the second quarter we almost forgot the other huge rebounding mistake and that was right before that pj tucker yeah harden harden missed the missed the step back pj tucker is there and i i mean ingles i think was misplayed that rudy gobert probably could have gotten closer to it and pj tucker gets the clutch offensive rebound like he has so often especially as a rocket but also throughout his career splits the free throws so that gave utah a chance but i mean if if they get that rebound with 10 seconds left up down two sorry there are a lot more options there and then there would have been more options if they hadn't had to burn their final time out yeah absolutely right there all right let's talk nuggets nuggets spurs boy denver sure turned around this series i mean this is and this is game fours are just so massive uh, in series i mean the spurs up to one it took a miracle win for denver i, mean, I shouldn't say miracle but a miracle quarter with jamal murray it was really the only time they've looked good the only time he's looked good in the series and denver really after the first quarter uh when they trailed 34 to 22 and it looked like they were just done uh controlled this one throughout 117 103 it was garbage time for the last six minutes of the game and now despite all the trouble denver probably i think the series is going to go seven regardless but 2-2 headed home they're probably got to be the favorites in this series as shaky as they have looked at time they did change mike malone changed their starting lineup they brought tory craig in in place of Will Barton. I thought that brought a couple of different benefits. One of them being Tory Craig going five for seven from three. Yeah. Tory I mean, Craig actually being much better on offense off. than Will Barton, which we didn't see coming. We didn't see coming, and and also I thought he made a big big impact on the defensive end, made life harder on DeRozan. DeRozan ended up with a good box score line, nineteen points, seven to thirteen from the field, got to the line. But I thought that Tory Craig made life harder. He's also a much more adept help defender, so he was so Craig was able to impact things. And also in the very very early going, I thought that being on the second unit helped activate Will Barton. It was really at the beginning yeah. of the second quarter because at that point he was there. They were going to Monte Morris a lot in the at the end of the first quarter when Barton came in, but then he he had two threes and then he got a little bit thirsty and Barton, I think he went, he, he missed six straight shots in that next stretch, but he was more active. He was also, I thought he did a better job with assists and, and that is the role that is best for him on a team.
team with these kind of aspirations. Now, it it, it was... Yeah, well, there's at this, least against this team. At least against this team. But, I mean, theoretically, if they're facing, like, the Warriors or somebody else, then Barton's going to run yeah. into other problems as well. So, or the Rockets, should they... Or whoever. I mean, great. Maybe not in the, in the second round because that whole side of the bracket is weird. But Craig was a huge plus. And then one of the most important parts of the game was something... We did this game for the NBA cast that we missed part of probably why it happened at the time and that was Mason Plumley picking up his th- <laughs> picking up his third foul in the first quarter yeah sometimes when we have the sound off we're not aware that I don't think they flashed a graphic that said three fouls and I think since he had just come in yeah he played three minutes like you don't so even think to look at it. it yeah so but what ended up happening was Nikola Jokic and Paul Millsap started the second quarter down 12 and I thought it was just oh Malone is gonna go for the juggler here by the way i mean this is bad bad process good results and Jokic ended up playing 22 minutes in the, in the first half bad process because mason plumley is gonna play what 15 minutes for you max and to be like oh he's in foul trouble we better take him out like he's not gonna close the game just leave him out there uh and he finished with uh four fouls in uh 11 pretty bad minutes uh, i thought uh but he uh mike malone stuck with his uh overly conservative foul trouble strategy and instead brought back Jokic and that really worked well because we saw that Paul Millsap who did struggle offensively here but in this game but the overall matchup was a little bit better we saw that Paul Millsap had been guarded by Jakob Pertl on with that second unit instead of Rudy Gay because Millsap had beat up Gay but then with Pertl and Gay in there together versus Jokic and Millsap that's when the Nuggets were really able to get right back into it they immediately cut that 12 point lead I think they wanted a 7-0 run to start they put up 32 points to 20 on San Antonio in that quarter and in fact the Spurs only got to 20 because I think they got at least 10 points on just like really bad fouls over the backbreakers two three-shot fouls for Patty Mills a couple of like rakes rake fouls when DeRozan did the Harden extend the arm moves through a guy who was digging down and that guy just reached in and committed a bad foul you know just plays where the Spurs didn't do anything to really deserve getting to the foul line but the Nuggets just made mistakes and fouled them so they really dominated that second quarter and then did the same in the third 37 25 but it was really i mean the whole tenor of the game changed when they went back to Jokic, and he was awesome 39 minutes 29 points 10 of 22 from the field 8 of 8 from the foul line 8 assists uh, and plus 17 uh and he was the best player i think out there tonight um well and, that, and uh, you, yeah, there's one other important thing with Jokic: eight assists zero turnovers yeah. denver as a team only turned the ball over seven times so they won the possession game against the san antonio spurs not something that happens very often because they also tied in offensive rebounds 11 to 11 and san antonio got got most of those in little binges like a uh, purtle had a couple aldridge had a couple you know those sorts of sequences and i thought denver's defense looked a lot better after the first quarter they were forcing san antonio into tough shots and yeah i think it was they were five of San Antonio was something like five of 22 in that second quarter but they just got to the foul line so much that they were able to put up 20 I thought that uh Mike Malone made some nice adjustments to this one number one obviously was starting Craig and yeah you don't expect Tory Craig to go five seven for three and he had some tough shots too he deserves so much credit for how he's improved the versatility of a jump shot I think he's actually also gotten a lot better defensively this year I thought that he was you know kind of more of a paper tiger who like looked like he'd be a really good defender and tried hard but wasn't that good last year and uh I was critical of them just 
just giving him that contract off of the two-way this year for i think it was like almost three million dollars and no, i think it was like two million bucks uh and i was completely wrong about that he's been outstanding deserved starting he played 37 minutes in this game and it had 18 points also was key on the glass where they've been hurt at times in the series with eight defensive rebounds two steals and a block a more impactful help defender to be sure um and so putting him in was good they also went a little bit more with some lineups with him at the four the first time we've seen them go with someone other than Plumley, Jokic and Millsap at the four or five positions I thought that those units worked pretty well also and then there are some strategic things one thing that we had talked about after the last game was to get Jamal Murray going maybe actually go with some more high pick and roll and I thought that that worked pretty well uh Barton got a little bit of high pick and roll also and while the DHO game is fun because it involves more guys you get a lot more player movement the problem is that when you on a DHO it's a lot harder to actually set the screen and get that in position it's better easier to get good contact on the screen when you're doing a high pick and roll because the big man has the freedom to just move wherever he wants to move you're you're tethered to your dribble you're tethered you got to protect your dribble or you've picked the ball up you, you can't really move it's up to the guy coming off of that to really go tight off of you and so those can get blown up more easily and you just never get a chance to get it to the guy or they hand off to murray and then white who's such a great athlete is right behind him and is able to bother the shot from behind so by going to a high pick and roll they're able to ensure that a better screen took place and get those guys a little bit more room so i thought that was a nice adjustment from them as well uh one dynamic of this series that has surprised me but also is extremely important moving forward is San Antonio getting so little from their bench. In this one, they really only played four guys during the competitive portion of the game. Rudy Gay, zero for seven from the field, didn't really have a place to be in a lot of his minutes. Bellinelli, awful defensively, missed his shots offensively. Patty Bills had the free throw exhibition and, and had a couple nice passes, and I think he was better defensively overall. He was probably the bright spot on and Davis Bertans was was okay, not not as impactful as I I had hoped he only took one three-pointer in the game and missed it and he so all those guys played 17 to 20 minutes though some of that was I think a little bit of that might have been in garbage time and broadly speaking they were outplayed by Denver's bench yeah and maybe having Barton there to get a little more playmaking it helped uh, Monte Morris when he wasn't fouling Patty Mills three times on three-pointers thankfully one of them w- was deemed a non-shooting foul uh had a nice game with 11 points of his own um one of the things that really struck me from the last game when I went back it and watched uh, somehow Derek White was able to put up that 36 points was just how much he was getting to the rim and how little of an impact Jokic had when he was getting there I mean Jokic was on the floor for a lot of those and for many he never reacted or when he did White was able to score easily around him and that was the case for a couple of early buckets but in large part the Nuggets then adjusted because remember game two fourth quarter Murray is helping a ton off of White White's just standing at the three-point line and they don't make him pay uh then game three a ton of help is coming off of white and white is getting cuts he's attacking hard when he's not being guarded he's getting to the rim and the nuggets don't have any rim protection so he's able to finish there very well game four they switch up again now we're not going to double off of Derek white anymore in fact they didn't do much double teaming at all and they had i thought they did a really nice job on both DeRozan and aldridge when those guys tried to to get into their iso game particularly aldridge aldridge had 24 points and was 10 of 18 but a lot of that was kind of quick plays around the rim where he 
got set up by other guys like his direct post-ups really were, were pretty ineffectual in this game and with craig on the floor they're allowed to play a little bit more straight up you know help in conventional ways at the rim when there was penetration they just helped deny penetration the spurs were eight of nine at the rim in the first quarter on that 34 points we thought it was just going to be more of the same and then after that during the competitive portion of the game they're able to shut that off a, a little bit more spurs took 23 shots at the rim the rest of the way but made 15 of them which was acceptable especially when the spurs jumpers just weren't going down two of 16 for mid-range from the league's second best mid-range shooting team behind the warriors and then the three-pointers they just didn't even get any up 14 they're three out of 14 from three and the nuggets just made everything they're 15 to 29 last game and 15 to 29 this game during the competitive portion so they outscored the spurs by a tidy 36 points from the three-point line during non-garbage time cutting out the final six minutes it it is interesting how this game tied in with something that you and i've discussed in this series which is the idea that san antonio's offenses they're going to be in that like you know 110 offensive rating range 110 to 115 maybe and that was true in this i mean it was it was very separated because they were much better in the first quarter than the second and third san antonio ended up at a 111 offensive rating before the final six minutes but denver by hitting every shot not turning the ball over they put up a 130 so they're I think their defense did play better overall, but Denver's offense stepped up to the plate, went above that, and so that's what gives them control of this series again, albeit not firm control because all it takes is one one more San Antonio win in Denver, which they've already done before, to, to rest control back. Yeah, clearly you think the winner of Game 5 is going to take the series at this point. And San Antonio, despite the fact that they shot so poorly, still actually had a 111 offensive rating during the competitive portion of the game. So I don't know that Denver has found the panacea here we'll see whether this three-point shooting carries over you imagine they're not going to be shooting over 50 percent from three for a third consecutive game uh other quick note Plumley, i mentioned it that he had a rough game patty mills was just destroying him in pick and roll the scheme is for Plumley to get out on the floor and first mills gets a running start at Plumley because they set the screen out near half court and just goes right around him for a layup then mills splits the, the pick and roll defense gets right to the rim then Plumley tries not to let him split and mills just goes right around him gets right to the room again and so it was a really rough stretch fortunately for the nuggets they were scoring during that stretch but it easily could have gone another way and the spurs could have gotten back into it, it, was, it but the nuggets maintained about a 10 point lead through that early part of the fourth but it was uh and Plumlee also hit a couple of those ugly sweeping hook shots that i heard someone on twitter compared to the dikembe mutombo hook shot which i thought is uh pretty accurate that was not a, a work of art either so what are you looking for here as we go into game five between these two teams can Denver continue to hit shots? Will San Antonio's mid-range shooting in particular progress to the mean? But even if it does, the, the margin at the three-point line is huge. San Antonio gained to the free-throw line. And also, I thought Jakob Pertl had an impactful game. He did deal with some, some foul trouble at different moments, but he Denver having those two bigs on the floor a lot gives Pertl the ability to affect shots, whether it's, you know, by just being in the right place, oftentimes at the right time. And I, and I, I want to see how he plays in game five. Yeah, he is one of the higher foul guys in yeah. the nba well and his foul trouble got muddy Yunus in the game for a brief point in the third quarter which was which was surprising and also a little bit confusing because those guys were similar numbers and so and and so it was, i think it's 25 and 28 respectively and so muddy Yunus was in not the great a defensive stalwart but then Pirtle came in to start the fourth i believe i think Jokic getting the 22 shots was huge and san antonio doesn't have an answer 
for him in the post and whether they get into that start off with that 5-1 pick and roll which you saw a little bit more of it still seems like they don't have that in as a called play that's all just kind of improvising and but Jokic he's uh, abuses Pirtle with the up and unders he's just too big for anyone he's able to back down in position he also has as his defense out on the floor and protecting the rim isn't good but his post defense has been outstanding on all in this series did not let him get to that right hand even once and he's not strong enough to back down that's very important for Aldridge because you know despite being kind of a thin guy he really needs to be able to create separation for that fadeaway jump shot um so that's that's what I expect to see are the Spurs gonna try and double still how much are the Spurs going to believe in the three-point shooting of Craig? Do they try and bring help uh, off of Millsap, who's probably also an inconsistent three-point shooter? The reason that Barton is in the starting lineup, other than the fact that he makes a lot of money, is that when you have Craig and Millsap out there, the spacing can get really tight. Uh, I'm not sure that there are a ton of adjustments left. Like we said, you know, after game four, you kind of start to figure out really what this series is. But there ha- we have really enjoyed seeing a lot of counters, and now it's really Greg Popovich's turn to respond bond i do think that the spurs i mean denver gave up like i think close to the most corner threes and a ton of threes overall and to get up 17 three-point attempts that's just not enough for the spurs team and um, uh, michael wright had a nice piece for espn about the spurs player development and one thing that i thought was very interesting was uh that was bertans who you know, has obviously benefited under this regime from greg puffish but he said yeah you know you're not allowed to bomb away from three here like they want you to still work it around and get the good shot and i think the spurs could benefit a little bit more from bombing away at least aldridge spaced out he even took two three-pointers in this one but in the spurs starting lineup took eight three-pointers you know white is not really a competent three-point shooter at this point in time forbes is really the one guy who can shoot it when he's on the move i thought they did get more out of mills though and i and i think mills adds a pace to their offense both in transition i think he's a little bit better defensively getting up over screens and he brings a little bit more pick and roll play than Forbes does so I might try to bring Mills in a, a little bit more maybe there's just a feeling that Mills Mills is also better at like drawing bullshit fouls which Denver seems very happy to concede uh so I would like to see maybe a little bit more Mills a little bit less Forbes uh you know Rudy Gay had a real struggle tonight at 0 for 7 Denver did an awesome job I, I think de- I, I commend Denver and Mike this is something that Mike Malone has talked about before in the media I commend Denver for other than committing a few fouls forcing guys to where they need to be forced and always having discipline on that making Rudy Gay go left and he really struggles when he's forced to go left same thing with Aldridge who talked about how he likes to go face up and go to his right so they've taken that away but San Antonio to me they're not going to do this they're not going to change and shoot a lot more threes but that's one of the big weaknesses of Denver is giving up a lot of threes and San Antonio has been unable to really exploit that and now that it seems like Denver has done a slightly better job at least of cutting off the rim at least from dribble penetration and a lot of that dribble penetration was coming because they were helping off of white so much and white was able to get right on in if denver is avoiding giving up those kinds of straight line drives you know maybe they can contain this spurs offense a, a little bit better uh, than they had another thing is it seems like denver got a little bit more conservative with Jokic in pick and roll defense a few white pick and rolls Jokic had gotten traffic cone when he was out on the floor further and he laid back a little bit more 
force white to take the mid-ranger DeRozan as well i think they're laying more off of him and they're content with him getting into the mid-range especially now that they had tory craig on DeRozan. i think they felt craig can fight over bother him from behind a, a little bit more and, and yeah DeRozan had a decent game with 19 points on 16 shooting possessions but i think that's something that they will live with especially if you're enabling Jokic to stay closer to the rim and that's about all i have on this one so we've been pulling some very late nights during these playoffs got to do some re-watching sometimes there's multiple games on it at once and i'll tell you what once i'm done i'm exhausted can't wait to hit the rack with my awesome helix sleep bed that's right it's mine not only do i own it it was made for me helix sleep has developed a mattress that's customized to your specific height weight sleep preferences so you can have the best sleep of your life at an unbeatable price the way it works is you go to helixsleep.com fill out their two-minute sleep quiz then they'll design your custom mattress and they'll even customize each side for you and your partner if you are not compatible just in that one area of course and in the last year helix sleep has taken customized sleep to the next level with the helix pillow which you can fully adjust so you can achieve perfect comfort regardless of sleep position or body type i actually was a helix sleep customer before i started endorsing it we tried another one size fits all mattress company both of us developed back pain so we decided to try helix sleep but instead it was perfect because hey it's made for us after all and then i actually ended up dming their company twitter account this is back in like 2015 and saying hey i love your product i would love to have you guys be a sponsor we worked something out and they've been on the show ever since so obviously our listeners really like it as well or they wouldn't keep paying me to endorse it if it weren't selling and i've got nothing but positive comments from uh, our listeners the way to get started with them is at helixsleep.com slash cap space go enter that url into your browser right this minute helixsleep.com slash cap space and you can get up to 25 no no okay 125 dollars towards your mattress order that's helixsleep.com slash cap space for up to 125 dollars towards your mattress order helixsleep.com slash cap space don't forget that slash cap space url to let them know that you came from us so now it's sunday we've had multiple games in some of these series one has concluded indiana and boston so we'll take maybe a little bit more of a generalist approach here to the conclusion of of this series the four or five in the east and my general observation is the Indiana Pacers could not score against the Boston Celtics. They especially could not score late. This is a pretty amazing stat for me. Three of the four games of this sweep were within five points in the final five minutes at some juncture. Boston's clutch net rating was a plus 74.4. 156 offensive rating, 81.8 defensive rating. And here I thought you were going to say 74.4 offensive rating and a zero defensive rating. (laughs) I I mean, it felt like that at at, at points in time. It it really did. I mean, how much weight are those? I'm trying to think of those three those three threes that they made in the late portion of game two uh, yeah that that stretch that they had at least one or two of those counted but yeah I, I for me game four kind of getting into a little bit though this is tying it with the broader themes it followed a similar script where the Pacers had enough you know they they made enough shots they had some better defensive stretches also Boston missed some shots too to keep this game close but then they didn't have the firepower to win close games. Yeah, it was somewhat evocative of their series two years ago, the last games that Paul George played in a Pacer uniform against the Cavaliers, where they had some games that really close late, ended up being a four-game sweep that they lost by a total of 16 points, which is the closest four-game sweep ever. wasn't quite that close in this series, especially in game four, but it really was clear that they just had nowhere to go with this team. And that's 
that's to be expected in part with Victor Oladipo out but I do think that they need some kind of an upgrade at point guard in the offseason Darren Collison I think has really just not been good enough two postseasons in a row here not really a guy that's going to create his own shot shoots it really well from three but not a versatile enough jump shot and then defensively he's too skinny gets taken advantage of they kept trying to hide him in various iterations and just couldn't find a place to, to do it down the end of games they couldn't put him on Kyrie put him on a, a bigger guy at the very least that guy was going to be able to shoot three-pointers right over the top of him on a closeout so that was a problem but Donovich had a wonderful season this year but even in the regular season when he became the first option after about a month or so teams really cottoned to what he was doing and were able to take away uh, some of the limitations in his game Doug McDermott had an atrocious series wasn't even playing by game four I don't know that he made a three-pointer in the entire series and for three-year 22 million dollar contract that's not what you want for a team that has playoff aspirations that was one what seemed like it might have been an overpay at the time and with his defensive limitations to have him not even hit a shot in the series is rough and then Bontemps wrote about this today the idea of Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis playing together that combination did not fare well in these playoffs their overall spacing really was not amazing Turner himself had his worst offensive playoffs of his career he's been in the playoffs all four years and even as a rookie he was able to score better uh he I thought he was very very good defensively in this series and that perhaps uh different usage more players around him not being guarded by someone as good as Al Horford for a lot of the time would have helped a, a lot also so this is an incomplete Pacers team unfortunately we don't know if Oladipo is going to be back at 100% next year he actually finally made it to his first game in person since tearing that quad tendon back in January for game four which uh wasn't too festive so both in terms of the offense the players so many guys are, are free agents uh, as well with Thaddeus Young Bogdanovich Collison Corey Joseph Sabonis is going to be extension eligible though he's under that rookie contract for one more year so they have a lot of decisions to make and it was tough without Oladipo to be forced to evaluate some of these guys and I do think a little bit of the way that they have really gotten worked in close games really in the three playoffs that McMillan has been the coach it deserves a little bit of scrutiny as well they don't come out of this looking as as good as they did last year yes they did lose in the first round but they lost to the eventual Eastern Conference champions and they gave them in my opinion the best series of any of the teams that Cleveland played in the East McDermott I want to give the actual numbers on his series played in three games did not play in game four total of 29 minutes two for 10 from the field zero for seven from three and he was really the guy that they gave a multi-year contract to I mean so Indiana last offseason they were very zealous justifiably so I'm not criticizing Pritchard for this at all for keeping their flexibility in the 2019 offseason which they already had a lot of guys that were going to have contracts expiring especially once you know Thaddeus Young picked up his picked up his player option and that's a big disappointment you know any any money you have in your books depending on which path they go that isn't particularly useful hurts a lot more especially for a team that is going to that could use a lot more and the Sabonis Turner question we got a lot more information over the course of this year but I don't think we got an answer and I'm I'm fascinated to see I mean I was I, I think big picture with them because I was writing their offseason preview today actually last night and today and they have some big decisions to make some of it dictated by what they want and some of it dictated by the kind of offers that Thaddeus Young and Bogdan Boyan Bogdanovich get as well so that's their their path is is pretty much concluded for this season but now Boston looks like they're going to get a week off or pretty dang close to it depending on whether the next series starts on Saturday or Sunday and I'm not completely sure how I feel about where they are at this moment 
it was a one note series indeed i think boston can take heart in a few things jason tatum had a nice series 60 percent true shooting 23 usage for him they got good enough play out of their bench gordon hayward had a nice game was pretty efficient in the series as was jalen brown but both of those guys weren't really being asked to create a ton they had nice closing performance by Kyrie, although he was relatively below standard for him in the series but indiana's a very good defensive team and i thought miles turner really caused a lot of problems for them at the rim you know i don't think hayward despite the fact that he's been playing better you know he's not really trusted to be one of the main engines of the offense they've gotten into a lot of Kyrie, and then it's pretty much spread evenly between everyone else tatum is kind of the number two guy hayward did look better getting into the lane he actually scored three times in isolation on miles turner which nobody else on the team managed to do he started getting those slow down change speeds in the lane throw off the timing of the shot blocker finishes again his three ball has looked more confident but i I thought the first quarter of game three really encapsulated them a lot just absolutely dominating right 41 to 28 on fire and then you look at their shot chart and they're eight to ten from three and they only had three shots at the rim in this 41 point quarter and so they are so dependent on getting a lot of threes and hitting a lot of threes it's gotten a little better but not getting to the foul line not really getting a lot of shots at the rim finishing a lot of shots at the rim Kyrie for all his brilliance and for all the Houdini finishes and the great handles and all that he's not really getting all the way to the rim that often he's not getting to the foul line that often and he's not getting into areas where he's going to draw help and find wide open shooters all that off so they don't have even though Kyrie scores very well on his own he's a great offensive player and having him score usually at the rate that he does and down the end of games it can be very useful how much he opens up for his teammates is somewhat debatable so all that is things that we knew about the Celtics I don't think they really changed my opinion of them much I guess the one other development you could look at for them in this series as being a big positive is they swept it without Marcus Smart who we thought was one of their best players they still play great defense again not against a team that is really going to stress you out either with their creative offensive system or their great individual players with Oladipo out so but they did manage to stop them it's better than not stopping them even though it's a it was a limited team and they got that five-man unit going it again closing games which i think is their five best players when those guys are all going well with brown hayward certainly has the most defensive versatility uh with the exception of when smart is available you know, i think i might even consider moving hayward into the starting lineup and moving baines to the bench because i'm not really sure against the bucks unless you're going to have baines guard Giannis, that it really makes a ton of sense uh, for him to be out there maybe they feel like baines can guard Giannis. he did it semi-okay last year but Giannis is even better and he's got a lot more space around him um anything more you want to say on the Celtics? i got a little more uh, on the pacers but uh give you the field here for a sec yeah one other thing i wanted to say uh, about the eight minute mark in the fourth quarter it was tied i think i think it was 80 to 80 and i kind of saw where this game was going and ended up being largely right but i started thinking about how i'm incredibly excited for celtics bucks and the opponent quality shift for both of these teams is going to induce some whiplash and i'm intrigued because it's hitting both of them at the same time you know i would say that the pacers are meaningfully better than the pistons have been especially because blake griffin missed the first two games but they're both gonna have to take this massive step up they haven't played you know super meaningful games against high level opponents trying their best in a while you know like that's just the way this works out the teams were pretty well you know boston is probably those games against indiana before the playoffs started where they were battling for seed that was the and and the playoff games too but i I wonder how that's going to turn out and i think it's going to be what part an important part of that series is going to
going to be whichever team adjusts to that and can can deal with it. And there is only so much preparation you can do for an opponent that is so much stronger and faster and deeper than who you just played. For the Pacers, a few more staggering numbers. 92 offensive rating for the series. J. Michael, their beat writer, had these stats. They shot 22% on isolations for the series, and they got forced into a lot of isolations when the Celtics were switching. They shot 31% on jumpers, 28% for mid-range, and overall 38% in the half court. I mean, that is just really, really atrocious numbers. And, uh, you know, we've seen some of the bad teams in these playoffs having, like, you know, offensive ratings from 15 years ago, uh, and the Pacers uh, were the worst of that group. But still worth noting that the Celtics only had a 103.7 offensive rating themselves, which is about the level, in fact, that is below the worst team in in the NBA this season, the New York Knicks at 104.0. And that's with a lot of these guys shooting the ball pretty well by their standards because, again, their free throw line, interior play, not really there. They're also hampered by the fact that Al Horford was sick for that one game, too. You know, he, he had a rough game. I think it was game two. Um, well, also, Boston turned the ball over so much in this series. Yeah. No, and, and that's a, another thing where you know, Irving is kind of a low turnover player. He's your lead guard. And Indy does a great job of forcing turnovers. Like, Thad Young is awesome in that, ca- that category in particular. You know, I thought he had a pretty nice defensive series. And, and I appreciate the, the Pacers battling, but I also appreciate the fact that they lost in four and it was a hopeless series and didn't drag things out for us <laughs> any longer. Uh, uh, one other and quick thing. I get to see my wife this week uh, as a result. So uh, thanks, Pacers. One other quick thing I want to mention. Miles Turner had a great drive and dunk on Gordon Hayward. Hayward subsequently yeah. scored on him. And that was, it showed Turner's growth as a driver. And I think there are ways that Nate McMillan can use that more in future years, especially as a more consistent threat from three. You know, the idea that if they give him more shots, then guys have to close out harder. We, we've seen Brooke Lopez do that a few times, including a few times in this Bucks. Piston series, but I'm excited to see where Turner's game goes from here. We saw this massive growth on the defensive end, and he's still there's so much untapped potential offensively. So another series that very could have easily have been a sweep was Orlando Toronto. Another series that I think fell into very much what we expected beforehand, except that it was Orlando that won the one truly close game in this series, which was Game One uh, on that Augustin three pointer, and Toronto has nearly completely controlled it since. Despite what, by all accounts, is a pretty good crowd in Orlando, Josh Robbins wrote a, a nice piece about you know how is the atmosphere going to be in the new building. They haven't had a playoff game since 2012, and even that team was drawing dead with the Dwight Howard injured that year. So good to see them back in the playoffs. But another sobering—it's three-one, but you imagine that Toronto will close it out in Game Five. Another sobering dose of reality for a team that hadn't been in the playoffs for a while, snuck in and was just utterly outclassed. That's it. I, I think the Magic have, they've fought reasonably valiantly in this series. They've looked good for extended Absolutely. stretches. Good, good coaching. I think their defense has been about as good as you could hope. You know, I mean, I mean they... They just don't have anywhere close to the talent required. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a huge gulf between those top four teams. Unfortunately, with Oladipo's injury, the Pacers didn't qualify in that, and then and then really everybody else. And Orlando has had these real moments in the series. They've defended well. They've had some moments where they're hot shooting. And every once in a while, this happens in a series where the game that is, in many ways, the outlier happens to be game one. And so you sit there for a day and a half and go, did I calibrate this series wrong? Like, I, I thought Orlando... Oh, oh I, was- never, I never thought that for a 
second. I did a little <laughs> bit in this series. I, 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 I watched that game. I saw the Magic go, what was it, like 15 and 29 from three or, or whatever it was, or, or 14 and 29 from three and shoot 35% on twos and not get any good two-point looks, basically. Yeah, and I And, uh, you know, I saw a bad Lowry play. I mean, the only doubt might have been that, like, oh, if Lowry just continues to be this bad. But uh, Kawhi Leonard took care of a, 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 of that and then some. But, I, I mean, I thought I actually thought they could slow down the Raptors maybe even more than they did these last three games but uh other than just technically slowing them down with pace rather than actual scoring rate uh, they weren't really able to do that and uh it seemed like they just had no chance to score against these guys and, and that proved correct it didn't help that other than battling the flu for game three Kawhi Leonard has basically be his is a demon I mean he was awesome in this game and I think Orlando we talked about it I, I brought this up at, after game one that I thought Orlando has a, a pretty intriguing group of guys to try to slow him down and it does not appear at this moment like there really is slowing down Kawhi Leonard 34 points on 12 of 20 from the field eight of nine from the line as well and had some really really nice defensive plays you know to me watching him like in man-to-man he isn't I have I'm not seeing the same guy that was the defensive player of the one of the most valuable defensive players in the entire league pre-injury but still an incredibly talented defender rebounder steal guy deflector all blush i had a couple really nice blocks in this game and so maybe he's not that same person at least for right now but he's still insanely valuable defensively and then when you combine that with pascal siakam who is versatile and and doing a really good job marcus has just been living in the passing lanes deflecting so many balls in this series and you've been banging the drum for a little while now that Toronto might have the highest defensive ceiling in the league. We've seen some serious signs of that in this series, albeit against a team that Toronto can look very good defending against. Kawhi Leonard, 63% true shooting, 33% usage, 21.3 net rating in the series in 35 minutes per game. MVP level of performance, not turning the ball over either. Pascal Siakam, he's been awesome as well. They've gotten really excellent contributions from pretty much everyone other than Danny Green hasn't shot it quite as well as expected. Marcus Gasol, except when he was in foul trouble and had some hilarious reactions to being in foul trouble in game three. Uh, he's been awesome. He told Totally shut down Vucevic. Serge Ibaka, it might be one of the better backup centers in the NBA right now as well. And it's really just been a, a very impressive performance in these two games in Orlando for them. Uh, Gasol in particular, I want to just give credit to just how good his hands are for a seven footer on defense, like how many steals and deflections he gets. And then Kawhi, you mentioned how good he was in this game. I mean, I think probably at least seven or eight of his buckets were right at the rim. And because really for the first time in his career we're seeing this now him playing with Ibaka playing with Gasol and we carped for years in San Antonio about how man if they just played him at the four if they just had some more spacing if they weren't playing him with two bigs all the time if they weren't playing him with Tony Parker who you know can only hit a mid-range jumper like how good could this guy be and I think we're seeing it now I mean he was obviously awesome in San Antonio but he really is able to just physically overwhelm nearly anyone who's trying to guard me poor Wesso Windu just gets put in the goal every time and even someone like Aaron Gordon who's really a power forward you know Leonard is able to abuse him if he gets out in transition he's able to go through whatever little guards are back he's not worrying about getting stripped because he's just got those absolute meat hook hands that you're not taking it away from him and then if he needs to he can get to his mid-ranger he can shoot threes off the dribble it's a very very complete performance I mean and he's looked every bit you know if not the best player in the Eastern Conference playoffs so far against pretty decent 
individual defenders uh he is one b to Giannis's one a at, at this point it is not the reason orlando lost this game but i do think that jonathan isaac's first half foul trouble made a meaningful difference they had to go to some of these really unusual lineups they actually dusted off jerrell martin who hit a three to the crowd's intense delight but you know he's he's just not a, a player good enough to be in this series and no shame in that there aren't a lot of players that are good enough to, to be in a series against the Toronto Raptors. So Isaac, he also has a lot of, of room to grow, a lot of a lot of improvement that is necessary on the offensive yeah, end. Being able to hit a wide open three would be a start, though. I mean, he was killing their offense. And, Absolutely. And then when they went to Ross, they couldn't defend. Yeah, Ross, talented scorer, even though he only hit one, one shot from the field in this game. There was one play that I, just drove me completely crazy. It was Norm Powell drove off of the, he drove from the three-point line on the, on the far side. Terrence Ross is standing underneath the basket. Norman Powell is basically driving straight for him. Pretty, uh, he had a little bit of a move to get past this guy, and Terrence Ross just stands there and lets him finish. I'm just sitting there going, "Come on, man! Like you're physically talented, Ter- Terrence Ross. You know it's not necessarily applied athleticism to the defensive end, but you have to be better than that. And really, for Terrence Ross, he's you know a pending free agent this year had, had put up some offensive numbers this year. But the difference between starter money and non-starter money, I think, is this could end up being a very significant year for that discrepancy depending on you know it only ever takes one team but it might be harder to find that one team and it's the defensive end that's costing him that starting role yeah i mean it's just a lot of guys just don't have the mentality they just let themselves be knocked out of the way they don't come to it with any kind of force or physicality i mean if you look at terrence ross he doesn't look any different than any other shooting guard does i mean does he look that different than like danny green from a body standpoint but danny green is really tough and terrence ross isn't um yeah and so i i think we're, we're learning a lot to the clippers series is another example of just man guys who are real good players in the regular season stalwarts for their teams guys who can get guys in the playoffs even in the case of nikola vucevic an all-star level of player and going against a top four playoff team top four seed in a conference they just can't get it done yeah i mean it's it's just such a different level of competition when you're really locked in on a guy like vucevic who is very talented he carried this entire offense this year and when they're really locked in on the pet plays to get him going if he can't bully his man in the post which he can't do to Marcus Ole, if he can't get open pick and pop shots and he's gotten a few but he hasn't been able to make them it's just a completely different animal against some of these some of these best teams he's a deserving all-star albeit in the east and there are still many many centers without weaknesses who would be better but he's just the best they got you know and this series was sadly for him because this is his first time in the playoffs you know, maybe it's a wake-up call for him and the organization that even you know as good as he has been this year and maybe they're going to bring him back and on big money 23 percent usage 46 percent true shooting and a lot more turnovers than usual the one thing that orlando has done well in this series is get to the foul and they actually had this massive foul differential that normalized a little bit in this last game but that i think that just seemed like kind of an anomaly because the magic were one of the lowest free throw teams in the nba this season so uh, game five we'll keep an eye on but this series certainly seems over but there are a, a lot of guys on this magic team who you know i mean augustin is another one of those guys right i mean you remember he got it going in game one and then basically just couldn't get a shot off the rest of the series you know i mean he, he ended up with 17 percent usage yeah he shot it really well based especially in that game one he, he had 25 points uh but he actually ended up with the worst net rating among the magic's high minute guys a negative 19.7 and just didn't have the size of it. it was very similar to back in 2014 when he was playing for the bulls he had a good game right at the start of the series then washington put trevor Ariza on him and that was it for him 
in the series so whether it's Isaac who really needs to improve his jump shot and improve his, his off the dribble game get stronger Aaron Gordon who actually probably did have a pretty decent series he hit at a 16 point third quarter tonight and did it hitting a bunch of contested long twos but those you know if he can add that to his game I mean, that's at least a shot that he can get off in the playoffs uh whether it's Ross who's going to be a free agent Fournier another guy who you know really had had a bad series and, and it's kind of limited defensively and you know not really going to get by anybody on the offensive end and every person on this roster with the exception of maybe gordon has a major weakness and some of those guys can improve it some of those guys are never going to be able to improve it but uh, the question of yay we made the playoffs oh shit do we have a long way to go you know is one that's going to come up pretty often in, in these discussions it will a couple other points one while you're right that he had a rough series i was very happy to see evan fournier have a better game four he was awful in game three one of 12 from the field and just you know if he had been a little bit better maybe that game could have been more competitive but on a larger scale note I'm so damn happy that Marcus Ole is on a playoff team this year he has been awesome in this series I'm really excited to see what he can do in the next round assuming Toronto makes it which which they will at some point I think it's more a matter of when rather than if and it's looking like it'll be another tantalizing matchup for Marcus Ole and it's a reminder that you know you talked about how hard it is you know once these players get into that cauldron especially the ones who've never been in before of I, this happens and I mean we've talked about it with LeBron James this year of the players who are good enough to be in that but are stuck on teams where they do not get that opportunity especially if it's for multiple years or for the foreseeable future so the magic uh, despite this early exit aren't necessarily going to have some cap space this offseason but if you want to maybe create a little extra cap space for yourself consolidate your debt or pay off your credit cards with lending club to get one fixed monthly payment if you're just paying the minimum on your credit card you could be paying it off for decade since 2007 lending club has helped millions of people regain control of their finances with affordable fixed rate personal loans no trips to a bank no high interest credit cards go to lendingclub.com slash cap space tell them how much you want to borrow pick the terms that are right for you and if you're approved your loan will be deposited into your bank account in as little as a few days they are the number one peer-to-peer lending platform over 35 billion dollars in loans that they've issued now lendingclub.com slash cap space easy to remember because we talk about cap space all the time on the program check your rate in minutes and borrow up to forty thousand dollars at lendingclub.com slash cap space once again lendingclub.com slash cap space all loans made by web bank member fdic equal housing lender let's talk warriors clippers now clippers fought harder in this one actually did take a five point lead 82 77 in the third quarter but largely it was a game that golden state controlled throughout despite the foul trouble for steph curry he had another miserable staples center game hitting only three field goals on the afternoon but aside from that golden state really took back control late in the third there's a critical stretch where they had their best guys on the floor and golden state had clay thompson and a bunch of role players golden state actually extended that lead and thompson was outstanding played 40 minutes with 32 points six of nine from downtown 12 of 20 in total i thought overall the clippers played well in this game i mean shea gilgis alexander had a really strong performance or especially early on 25 points 9 of 15 from the field was getting to his spots and also had some really nice finishes he had this beautiful righty finish past Raymond Green that I really liked and his composure in this game in particular was great you know other than Gallo who, who really did struggle in in a lot of this game I thought that they competed they they executed some things pretty well in defense and that part that you brought up in in the fourth was also notable because in the first half due to Stephen Curry's foul trouble they were not going with that second unit and the the Warriors current theory of the bench 
that lineup with theory, which can be without Durant and Curry, is defend as well as humanly possible and try to score enough to stay even or close to it. And in that fourth quarter, they outscored the Clippers 7-4 to before Durant came in, and I think they were even until Curry checked back in. That's a pretty big win against most teams. It's an even bigger one against the Clippers because they have two of their best players coming off the bench. Kevin Durant, I think this was a game in, in some ways was a little bit of a preview for the next round because in the third quarter, the offense started bogging down, and so they just did the, hey, Kevin, just go get buckets, however you see fit. And he did pretty well. He got he got seven points in that quarter when nobody else could hit a shot, and they weren't they were, weren't defending super well in that, that quarter as well. And then you brought up Clay playing 40 minutes. The other huge part for him, 27 first half points. Absolutely, you know, it started out, they were doing some of the attacking mismatches, bully ball type stuff with Clay, and then he started getting open from three, started drilling shots. And that was all set up by the Clippers, by Doc Rivers, making a change and starting Jermichael Green, which I thought was a really inspired choice and worked out reasonably well, even though they didn't win this game. Frankly, Kerr probably should have started Looney. Agreed. That group Bogut ended up fouling out, and he struggled in a lineup that had five three-point shooters in it. And some of the Clippers' best moments, Bogut was negative 11, uh, came at the beginning of the first and the beginning of the third when he, he was really trying to get out on the perimeter and couldn't really do it that well uh so yeah i thought that was a pretty good adjustment the, they were doing a ton of switching they really got away from the top locking strategy and did more switching that's part of what putting green in there was supposed to facilitate and they didn't have anyone under six five in their starting lineup and they didn't have anyone who was a, a slow center so it worked with that group when you got to go with lou will it, it gets a little bit worse uh, Gallo had a miserable night at, at five out of 20. We can talk about him a little bit more later. Um, you know, Lou really struggled as well. He, he missed some pretty decent looks at jumpers early in the fourth that could have kept them in it a little bit more. That stretch uh, that we talked about earlier. And, and Shea was awesome, although he didn't really score in the last like 18 minutes or so of the game after putting up 25 early. I was encouraged at the number of three pointers that he took overall in this series. Uh, I thought he was aggressive from there. He, he took six three pointers tonight, making four of them. And overall, I thought the Clippers got up a lot of threes and they shot it well from three over 40%, but they couldn't make anything at the rim. And a few of those were just bad finishes, especially in the third, like Beverly missed a finger roll, Gallo missed an easy layup. But I thought that Green and to a lesser extent, Bogut and Looney were really, really good defending the rim, holding the Clippers to 15 of 33, 46% at the rim. And Green was actually what I highlighted in my brief segment where I got to put together some highlights for uh, my appearance on ABC Sports uh, Bay Area after the game today but and he was just all over the place like there's this one play where he switches on to Shaman on the perimeter great shooter 40% three-point shooter enters it in the post to Green against a mismatch uh, Jamichael Green and this is from the wing and he's guarding a 40% three-point shooter Jamichael Green tries to turn over his right shoulder makes a pretty quick move and Draymond just sprints in from the three-point line and blocks his shot and it just caroms off only the backboard I mean just like the kind a play that just no one even thinks to make really where he's just like i know this guy he's got the mismatch he's just gonna shoot it i don't have to worry about him passing to this guy no matter how good a three-point shooter he is and he just goes and gets it like it's just a, a great read and the combination he has of intelligence ability to cover ground in a short area and then still protect the rim pretty well he's fallen off a little bit there but not that much is impressive and your colleague marcus thompson at the athletic wrote a piece about how he's lost all this weight and i really see it in this game do you i absolutely do 
do. And yeah, he he's moving better defensively. And we also, some of Draymond's attacking the basket wasn't as, it wasn't as prevalent in game four as it was in game three, but I still think he's looking better as an attacker as well. Also, oh, yeah. I think I think a significant takeaway from the last couple games of the series is that the Warriors bench is doing well. Kevon Looney has played, has, has had a strong series. This wasn't his best scoring outing. He's strangely been really effective as a scorer in this series. But Iguodala kind of tying his minutes with Lou Williams, I think that has worked out well. And McKinney, this was the best game he's played in a while. You know, the box score stats weren't necessarily there, but I thought his defensive rotations were better. And he's about to be put in the pressure cooker. So having a good game about a week before the probable Rocket Series starts is important. And I think with Iguodala, he had this massive dunk, like maybe one of the best dunks that he's had in a while on a nice back door. So really the Warriors, I think that Green, his ability now attacking off the dribble, uh, attacking in the post, he's gotten a couple of post buckets against, you know, kind of these smaller guys like Beverly or, or Lou Williams. Uh, you know, that's been important, I think, as well for them when they went to the death lineup to have that as one more option when if you throw it in the post to him and they switch everything, everyone's worried about the shooters. He can just spin by guys for a layup and actually make that layup. Uh, um, so I, I think actually the way that Draymond has played on both ends has probably been the biggest harbinger for what's going to happen with the Warriors. And they've played really well defensively. For most of this series, the Clippers have been right around a point per possession. They've had some little scoring jags uh, and obviously uh, that huge second half in game two. But aside from that, uh, this is a very good Clippers offense uh, has been relatively limited. Golden State also has hit the offensive glass, which will be big in their series against Houston. That's a, a weakness for Houston and uh, shut off the offensive glass. Only 10% offensive rebounds for the Clippers in this one. Doc also changed up to get Jerome Robinson sometime. He had some moments uh, in the second quarter for a little bit there, but uh, not much more to say. I think they've had a valiant effort. Just uh, another team of players. Gallo is one of them, right? I mean, he generally has been a little bit too slow in the series. He hasn't been explosive enough to finish at the rim. Another guy who really depends on getting to the foul line, baiting guys into the air for fouls when teams are really locked in, that's going to be less effective. It's his first playoffs, actually, since 2012 for Gallo because he was injured in 2013, but mm-hmm. when he was a, a teammate of Iguodala's with, with a torn ACL. Uh, so it's been a while for him in the playoffs. And he had a great regular season. Lou Williams, great regular season, but you know, he's basically had one really good game in, in this series and has been a massive defensive liability for a lot of the series also. Well, so, and speaking yeah. of defensive liabilities, I thought that an, an intriguing and good adjustment while you mentioned the Clippers switched a lot, their base alignment had Gallinari on Andrew Bogut. And I thought that made a lot of sense because Gallinari doesn't move particularly well in space. And so you just put him on Bogut and I, I thought it, it masks some of his deficiencies on the defensive end. Now, that is more of a playoff gimmick type thing, but I thought it, it worked reasonably well. I also want to just give some credit to how well Garrett Temple has played defensively in the series. Thought yes, thank awesome you. Thank you for doing so. On uh, both Clay and Steph, and really remarkable that he was available essentially for free. He and Jamichael Green, two solid rotation players, were available essentially for free when there are plenty of other contenders that if they could have just maybe even ponied up like a second rounder in an expiring contract or something. <coughs> Philadelphia! Uh, potentially could have had those guys um also worth noting that golden state was turning it over like crazy that was fueling that clippers run in the early part of the third quarter and then when they stopped turning it over they became unstoppable again i mean that's a, a big part of the story for them when they don't turn it over they're gonna score a crap load of points so if they can just simply avoid doing that they're in good shape all right let's turn to okc portland now okc righted the ship momentarily in game three all those missed three pointers when they made a grand total of 10 through the first two games were going in and even in game four they're going in as well Dave Millard was able to keep it close 
close with a crazy 25 point third quarter in game three but okc controlled that one largely throughout and so it came down to game four and i had predicted that the series was going to go seven i thought okc would win both games at home and they did not how come some of it for sure can be accredited to oklahoma city missing shots but i've been impressed well, overall well, they shot over 40 percent from three I, I'm, t- I'm i'm talking broadly about the series but i yeah. i think portland's defense has been better than i anticipated i mean beyond ennis canner starting and thinking that there would be some ways to attack him there they've competed defensively they've made shots harder and broadly speaking i mean i think that other you know paul george has certainly had some some big performances he dropped 22 but that was on 17 17 free throws in game three like that was the big part of him there and then in, in today's game he had 32 8 of 21 from the field 12 of 14 from the line but when you look at really the rest of the guys portland has been making their shots harder they forced 14 turnovers in this game so they won the possession battle and they also won the possession battle on the boards they had more offensive rebounds than the thunder did and they've portland has really been better overall defensively now oklahoma city is a different type of team to defend than most but i think portland has done well there and then they've gotten performances in this one i thought it was willard and cj of course but also aminu had some big moments they've gotten enough from those guys to make it through cleanly i second what you said about portland a lot of guys in this team have been better than i thought i mean the number of guys for portland who you just think of as total defensive wallflowers like not only did they hold up they like made plays like edits Cantor had a massive block on russell westbrook cj mccollum had a massive block and a two-on-one of paul george went back down the other way and hit the icing three-pointer rodney hood had a couple of deflections. Cantor had the another steal i mean they really eight block shots mo harkless who does make more plays had three blocks alfaruk aminu was awesome shooting the three as well in portland it was even better than okc was from downtown in this one so yeah i was really impressed with what portland was able to do defensively but also a big part of that was paul george i mean you mentioned he had the 32 points but 12 of 14 from the foul line a lot of those were the oh i'm driving to the rim and i feel some contact i'm gonna throw it up and get the foul he actually was four of ten from three in this one so he was that's not awful but some of those were kind of desperate three-pointers late but he he did not have a dominant game in this one you know i think that's that was pretty clear he hasn't had a dominant game in this series and he was having dominant games when this team was at their apex and whether it's the shoulder whether it's the fact that for a couple of months he was way over his head shooting the ball whatever you want to account for you know and even defensively you know he he was had the primary matchup on cj mccollum and cj had 27 points and was quite efficient in this game he he was not really able to shut mccollum down mccollum had an awesome game on both ends so that was an issue and then russell westbrook yeah that's where i wanted to go atrocious westbrook he only got to the free throw line for four for four attempts in this game he took 21 shots a whopping three of those 21 shots were in the paint and two of them got blocked yeah two of them got blocked he was three of 11 from mid-range two of seven from three and it was a reminder of his limitations sure he had seven assists he also had three turnovers but Westbrook unless he's getting downhill in transition and he and he had some really nice moments at, at you know he had some strong moments in game three to be sure and also in pockets of games one and two but when you get into a playoff series and the other team is putting the ball in the basket a little bit more often and they they're getting back in transition defense hopefully they have a plan for you some of those strengths 
are marginalized and some of the weaknesses come to the fore yeah and even his like really good game last game he shot 50 percent, and you know he's not really capable with the way he plays of having a game where he shoots 65 percent. you know his, his really good games are going to be 50 percent, and then his really bad games he's going to shoot 25 percent, like, like he did it in this one and all that said oklahoma city was doing just fine in this game yo-yoing back and forth paul george gets his third foul on just an atrocious call it was so bad a charge call seth curry sets up a transition to take the charge george steps around him with the euro step and so curry both slides to his right and even then was not enough to make contact so he sticks his right forearm out to basically like expand the size of his body george runs into his forearm and then gets called for the offensive foul billy donovan sends him to the bench with his third foul care to guess how many fouls he ended up with danny i'm gonna guess he fouled out with six <laughs> no no he finished with three fouls and it looked like that was okay for a while and perhaps billy would have brought him in if it seemed like things were about to go off the rail and okc was still doing just fine until just at the very end of the quarter a devastating 11-0 run by portland which grew to 16-0 at the start of the third and you know i think that run happened and made it the course of, of about two minutes or so and that was really kind of the ball game the okc got back i think within four right at the start of the third and then portland controlled it the rest of the way they got within seven very late within the last two minutes but then uh, they missed another wide open three ferguson and then they they followed harkless on a loose ball foul he hit a couple of free throws and then the game it was really over that portland led by as much as 16 um portland won despite shooting nine out of 27 at the rim it was the three-pointer at 15 out of 35 43 percent and then 96 percent 22 out of 23 from the foul line which was I mean, they just shot the ball really well. And Aminu, Lillard, McCollum combined for 13 three-pointers just in their starting lineup. And, you know, I thought Aminu hit some just enormous shots when he has it going from three. I mean, this Portland offense is a really good offense. I mean, they are the, were the number four offense in the NBA this season. And yeah, Nurkic probably is a little bit better than Cantor, but Cantor still provided a lot. He was plus 16. I mean, he's had a great series, even despite being only two of four that did not get taken advantage of defensively um zach collins gave him a, some nice minutes uh, with 10 points just a really impressive performance and for okc I and mean, they're down 3-1 cj seemed really happy he's talking a little bit about how oh, i'm not gonna get a chance to go see my brother eric play in europe but this is one where i'm not quite buying the 3-1 you know it's over it's over yet i mean this is the 4-5 series i did think these teams were pretty evenly matched coming in so it's possible to me that okc could win that game five in portland if portland doesn't lock in we'll see whether uh, an okc won won a, a game five down three one although they were at home and they did take a 25 point comeback in the second half to do it a year ago against the jazz i mean we remember that that series went to game six and it was very close at the end but in that game six and there was a controversial no call uh, on pg with that three-pointer but you know I mean, okay he probably should have just lost that series in five and it looks like that's what's going to happen to them again and there's got to be if that is indeed what happens we'll talk more about this in their offseason preview of course but there's got to be a lot of soul searching in okc uh i thought steven adams really struggled in this one he didn't even close the game and he looked like he got a blow to the chest and they 
changed their pick and roll coverage towards the end of game three it looked like when he was in the game to actually have him lay back which they really did not do much of at all and i'm not sure whether that was because adams had something wrong and it was kind of limited physically you know he had a a shoulder injury i think it was uh in that bucks game he kind of tweaked things that last day of the season or he just wasn't that mobile or was not effective or what but negative 21 six points only one offensive rebound okc a great offensive rebound team only had six for the game and you know he wasn't even out there late i mean this is their their guy who's they're paying basically max money to and he couldn't even be on the floor at the end of the game for them something else i wanted to mention I'm wondering if, assuming Portland makes it to the next round, and and I agree with you that that is less certain than it is for some of the other teams that are up 3-1, how his idea of playing five bench guys together is going to work out. They went to this lineup of Curry, Hood, Turner, Myers Leonard, and Zach Collins, and I'm just sitting there going, what is, like, what, what, what is this lineup supposed to do? And they had a couple of, a couple of, not suck enough as as much as possible and yeah and just hold the fort for a couple of minutes until cj can get back in i mean that's that's he knows that it's terrible yeah he he does and i i thought okc didn't really take in this game at least didn't really take advantage of it enough they had a lineup out there that was not much more inspiring with felton schroeder morris noel and i'm trying to remember who the fifth guy was was paul Paul george George. that's one it was during that period that george picked up that fateful third foul that's right when seth when seth leaned over uh and so i i wonder if they face and I presume if they face a team with a better, a deeper roster in the next round, if if he tries to go to that and they just get smoked in a game or two. But Portland starters played so well in this one. And I, I wrote a piece about this for The Athletic about the Curry-Durant stagger, but the whole idea of it was there is a theory behind the concept of your main guys are so good together that you can sacrifice being worse without them on the floor. And that probably is a part of the argument for Terry Stotts. A lot of times in those lineups, you'd want to slow it down and, and grind it out a little bit more but i'm just sitting there going oh man this group could get smoked by a really good team couple other notes uh, on this one and we just have seen some more effort from Cantor. he had this play where paul george came off a screen and he just switched out on him in the corner and he didn't like lock him down but he forced him to take a, a contested miss three i thought that down the end when okc went to the desperation jeremy grant at center switch everything lineup that portland strategy was pretty bad if we see it close down the end and they go to that same group either dame or cj had Schroeder on him and either of those guys has such a massive strength advantage against Schroeder, and he's just not a good individual defender that they could just get to whatever spot they want on him and rise up especially cj and instead they were running pick and roll to get the iso on grant in what crazy world would you rather have grant as the guy you're trying to get by than dennis Schroeder? i mean Schroeder is especially just every time they've tried him in an iso they've just cooked him in this series so especially when you're trying to run the time down you're not as worried if there's help behind because you just want to kind of get to a spot take a jumper after you've run 23 seconds off the clock didn't really care for that strategy uh nerland's noel gives them some intriguing play at times but still makes some mistakes and also he's just so painfully thin i mean al farouk aminu who if you compare his body now to where he was at the start of his career he's not exactly like a weight room warrior just went like right through him for a first layup just like pump faked knocked him backwards and just went up for a layup i mean you know al farouk aminu is six eight like if you're this great shot blocking center like you shouldn't be able to just get knocked backwards like that but i think that the last 
lack of strength has really limited Newell's career and I think that's all I got on this series I'm not sure where OKC goes from here what you do to get Westbrook going he stopped taking the jumper in the second half but he still finished uh 0 for 7 even with a more judicious shot selection he was two for three on threes in the first half 0 for four in the second half some of those were desperation tries late only seven assists for him uh, as well I'm just not sure what else you can do to get him going like he's not that subtle of a player they tried posting him up on Dame that hasn't worked at all they don't really have any like good shooting lines I mean maybe maybe what they could try and do is dust off Patrick Patterson and maybe try to go to some more like switching intensive lines but I think Patterson is probably too slow at this point in his career and uh, obviously he's really disappointed in OKC I thought the granted center unit and the switching I mean that's probably something they should try to go back to at least a little bit if Dame gets cooking but I I don't know how tenable that is overall like Grant has been a better shooter and he shot it well in these two games in OKC he was three or five of tonight from three so maybe you feel like hey we can space the floor enough to get it going we'll switch defensively but I mean that's so far away from OKC's core philosophy and sometimes you get you just go there when you're desperate in a series maybe we'll see more of that uh but you know Paul George and Russell Westbrook are just going to get outplayed by Damon DJ which I thought they were again tonight and the fit if not the quality of Portland's role players is superior to me then they're sunk like Westbrook and George has got to play better I don't think there's much of a panacea other than that no real arguments here all right we got a little bit of news to get to very quickly Sean Marks entered the referee's locker room after game four now that's the real home court advantage you know exactly where that locker room is when you're gonna run in there and complain to the referees and get fined apparently it was not about the tobias harris hold on jared allen that we talked about earlier in the program that prevented him from rolling to the room which the nba's uh, last two minute report that came out on sunday said was a foul and, sh- and should have been called but it was more about the Embiid, neither of his two plays being called as flagrant twos i think both of them were flagrant ones even the elbow to me it was reckless but i don't think he knew that jared allen was guaranteed to be there i think he just made that spin move and he had his elbows up and you know he wasn't sure whether allen was going to cut him off or not so i think the right call was made in both those plays but uh marks then presumably it was him or, or someone in the organization who leaked to woge what his intention was which was how the franchise is determined to support the way that they are competing in the series but he will be suspended for game five and docked one game's pay which i don't know how that works exactly for general managers and find twenty five thousand dollars uh and then in minnesota uh, we talked about how michael winger was a candidate there he has informed the wolves that he intends to stay with the clippers to continue the work he has done there certainly they have some big free agent aspirations and while there's conflicting reporting on this john credency did say that whoever they bring in as the president of basketball operations would be able to decide on Layden and saunders i'm guessing number one that glenn taylor would be more disposed to a candidate who says he wants to keep those guys and number two Woj said i also that they were at one point finalizing plans to keep both of them so it seems like at least that's taylor's preference if not a mandate uh gerson rosas the perpetual candidate calvin booth who uh, i know a little bit i actually met him back in 2012 when i had just a blog and the only place that would credential me was the adidas euro camp in italy and he was just there basically as an independent just scouting and trying to find a job back at that time and he's really risen up the ranks of minnesota then moved over to denver has uh, gotten rave reviews there so he apparently could be a candidate back in minnesota has a a touchstone with the organization as well and then chauncey billups also uh, another guy who was in minnesota and uh they ended up letting him go 
much to their detriment imagine how good they could have been if uh, they just kept him and he developed the same way that he did in detroit but uh, he also is going to be a candidate there but you know winger to me is probably the the most exciting of those candidates and he is no longer in the running and uh, i think that's all we got anything else you want to talk about before we go well sure i'll mention briefly because i'm not sure we got to it before that the durant and jermichael green technicals they had they had double t's in game two or no that was game game three three. they those got rescinded so durant is back down to two for the playoffs because they he got two separate ones with patrick beverly in the game they both got ejected from and i have my offseason preview series for the athletic is going strong because so many teams are getting eliminated so quickly so i don't we got to start our own offseason right right so like this weekend i'm watching all the games and i'm like because my kind of standard practice is the day after a team gets their third loss i want to have a draft in and i'm just sitting there looking at the list and going oh god i have six pieces that i either have to write or have already fortunately some of them i'd already written and so yeah i don't know exactly what order they're coming out but i'm loading them up and the athletic editorial staff is is knocking them down which is great but uh, so i don't know the exact order but there are going to be a lot of those coming out this week because we're going to see we already saw one elimination we're going to see probably another six to seven more by the weekend yeah and the plan for tomorrow not a ton of intrigue in those two three oh series so instead hope to have uh, my buddy dave dufour on who we met uh at sbc back in 2016 he's made a, a nice career for himself now uh working with the count the dings crew among other places so he's gonna be on we'll probably talk about the playoffs a little bit more generally tomorrow some of the trends we're seeing biggest disappointments most surprising coaching coaching adjustments uh, that we've really liked instead of doing those games tomorrow if anything incredibly important happens danny and i will of course talk about it but a tentative plan is no gamer for tomorrow night and then tuesday is gonna be ridiculous there's gonna be four games uh, on tuesday though thankfully some of them are kind of in close out five one or, or five game series but i'm really excited about san antonio denver in particular on tuesday night so got a lot of content coming for you and this has been a long ass episode so i'm gonna stop talking right now at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.